Chapter Seventeen of the Ivory Child by H. Rider Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen, The Sanctuary, and the Oath. That evening, shortly after sundown, the three of us started boldly from our house, wearing over our clothes the kender dresses which Ragnall had bought, and carrying nothing save sticks in our hands, some food, and the lantern in our pockets. On the outskirts of the town we were met by certain Kendah, one of whom I knew, for I had often ridden by his side on our march across the desert. "'Have any of you arms upon you, Lord Macumazahan?' he asked, looking curiously at us and our white robes. "'None,' I answered. "'Search us if you will.' "'Your word is sufficient,' he replied with the grave courtesy of his people. "'If you are unarmed, we have orders to let you go wherever you wish, however you may be dressed.' yet lord he whispered to me i pray you do not enter the cave since one lives there who strikes and does not miss one whose kiss is death i pray it for your own sakes also for ours who need you we will not wake him who sleeps in the cave i answered enigmatically as we departed rejoicing for now we had learned that the kender did not yet know of the death of the serpent an hour's walk up the hill, guided by Hans, brought us to the mouth of the tunnel. To tell the truth, I could have wished it had been longer, for as we drew near all sorts of doubts assailed me. What if Hans really had been drinking and invented this story to account for his absence? What if the snake had recovered from a merely temporary indisposition? What if it had a wife and family living in that cave, every one of them thirsting for vengeance? Well, it was too late to hesitate now but secretly I hoped that one of the others would prefer to lead the way. We reached the place and listened. It was silent as a tomb. Then that brave fellow Hans lit the lantern and said, "'Do you stop here, Bosses, while I go to look? If you hear anything happen to me, you will have time to run away.' Words that made me feel somehow ashamed of myself. However, knowing that he was quick as a weasel and silent as a cat, we let him go. A minute or two later, suddenly he reappeared out of the darkness, for he had turned the metal shield over the bull's eye of the lantern, and even in that light I could see that he was grinning. "'It is all right, Baas,' he said. "'The father of serpents has really gone to that land whither he sent Bina, where no doubt he is now roasting in the fires of hell, and I don't see any others. Come and look at him.' So we went in, and there, true enough, upon the floor of the cave, lay the huge reptile stone dead and already much swollen i don't know how long it was for part of its body was twisted into coils so i will only say that it was by far the most enormous snake that i have ever seen it is true that i have heard of such reptiles in different parts of africa but hitherto i had always put them down as fabulous creatures transformed into and worshipped as local gods also this particular specimen was i presume of a new variety since, according to Ragnall, it both struck like a cobra or the adder, and crushed like a boa constrictor. It is possible, however, that he was mistaken on this point. I do not know, since I had no time, or indeed inclination, to examine its head for the poison fangs, and when next I passed that way, it was gone. I shall never forget the stench of that cave. It was horrible, which is not to be wondered at, seeing that probably this creature had dwelt there for centuries, since these large snakes are said to belong lived as tortoises, 
and, being sacred, of course, it had never lacked for food. Everywhere lay piles of cast bones, amongst one of which I noticed fragments of a human skull, perhaps that of poor savage. Also the projecting rocks in the place were covered with great pieces of snake-skin, doubtless rubbed off by the reptile when once a year it changed its coat. For a while we gazed at the loathsome and still glittering creature, then pushed on, fearful lest we should stumble upon more of its kind. I suppose that it must have been solitary, a kind of serpent rogue, as Jana was an elephant rogue, for we met none, and, if the information which I obtained afterwards may be believed, there was no species at all resembling it in the country. What its origin may have been I never learned. All the Kendah could or would say about it was that it had lived in this hole from the beginning, and that black Kendah prisoners or malefactors were sometimes given to it to kill, as white Kendah prisoners were given to Jana. The cave itself proved to be not very long, perhaps one hundred and fifty feet, no more. It was not an artificial, but a natural hollow in the lava rock, which, I suppose, had once been blown through it by an outburst of steam. Towards the farther end it narrowed so much that I began to fear there might be no exit. In this I was mistaken, however, for at its termination we found a hole just large enough for a man to walk in upright, and so difficult to climb through that it became clear to us that certainly this was not the path by which the white kender approached their sanctuary. Scrambling out of this aperture with thankfulness, we found ourselves upon the slope of a kind of huge ditch of lava which ran first downwards for about eighty paces, then up again to the base of the great cone of the inner mountain, which was covered with dense forest. I presume that the whole formation of this peculiar hill was the result of a violent volcanic action in the early ages of the earth, but as I do not understand such matters I will not dilate upon them further than to say that, although comparatively small, it bore a certain resemblance to other extinct volcanoes that I had met with in different parts of Africa. We climbed down to the bottom of the ditch that, from its general appearance, might have been dug out by some giant race as a protection to their stronghold, and up its farther side to where the forest began on deep and fertile soil. Why there should have been rich earth here and none in the ditch is more than we could guess, but perhaps the presence of springs of water in this part of the mount may have been a cause. At any rate, it was so. The trees in this forest were huge and of a variety of cedar, but did not grow closely together. Also there was practically no undergrowth, perhaps for the reason that their dense spreading tops shut out the light. As I saw afterwards, both trunks and boughs were clothed with long grey moss, which even at midday gave the place a very ghostly appearance. The darkness beneath those trees was intense, literally we could not see an inch before our faces yet rather than stand still we struggled on hans leading the way for his instincts were quicker than ours the steep rise of the ground beneath our feet told us that we were going uphill as we wished to do and from time to time i consulted a pocket compass i carried by the light of a match knowing from previous observations that the top of the holy mount lay due north thus for hour after hour we crept up and on, occasionally butting into the trunk of a tree or stumbling over a fallen bough, but meeting with no other adventures or obstacles of any physical kind. Of moral, or rather mental, obstacles there were many, since to all of us the atmosphere of this forest was as that of a haunted house. It may have been the embracing darkness, or the sough of the night wind against the boughs or mosses, 
or the sense of the imminent dangers that we had passed and that still awaited us or it may have been unknown horrors connected with this place of which some spiritual essence still survived for without doubt localities preserve such influences which can be felt by the sensitive among living things especially in favouring conditions of fear and gloom at any rate i never experienced more subtle and yet more penetrating terrors than i did upon that night and afterwards ragnall confessed to me that my case was his own black as it was i thought that i saw apparitions among them glaring eyes and that of the elephant jana standing in front of me with his trunk raised against the bowl of a cedar i could have sworn that i saw him nor was i reassured when hans whispered to me below his breath for here we did not seem to dare to raise our voices look boss is it jana glowing like hot iron who stands yonder don't be a fool i answered how can jana be here and if he were here how could we see him in the night but as i said the words i remembered hadroot had told us that jana had been met with on the holy mount in the spirit or in the flesh however this may be next instant he was gone and we beheld him or his shadow no more also we thought that from time to time we heard voices speaking all around us now here now there now in the tree-tops above our heads though what they said we could not catch or understand thus the long night wore away our progress was very slow but guided by occasional glimpses at the compass we never stopped but twice once when we found ourselves apparently surrounded by tree-boles and fallen boughs and once when we got into swampy ground then we took the risk of lighting the lantern and by its aid picked our way through these difficult places by degrees the trees grew fewer so that we could see the stars between their tops this was a help to us as i knew that one of them which i had carefully noted shone at this season of the year directly over the cone of the mountain and we were enabled to steer thereby it must have been not more than half an hour before the dawn that hans who was leading we were pushing our way through thick bushes at the time halted hurriedly saying stop boss we are on the edge of a cliff when i thrust my stick forward it stands on nothing needless to say we pulled up dead and so remained without stirring an inch for who could say what might be beyond us ragnall wished to examine the ground with the lantern i was about to consent though doubtfully when suddenly i heard voices murmuring and through the screen of bushes saw lights moving at a little distance forty feet or more below us then we gave up all idea of making further use of the lantern and crouched still as mice in our bushes waiting for the dawn it came at last in the east appeared a faint pearly flush that by degrees spread itself over the whole arch of the sky and was welcomed by the barking of monkeys and the call of birds in the depths of the dew-steeped forest next a ray from the unrisen sun a single spear of light shot suddenly across the sky and as it appeared from the darkness below us rose a sound of chanting very low and sweet to hear it died away and for a little while there was silence broken only by a rustling sound like to that of people taking their seats in a dark theatre then a woman began to sing in a beautiful contralto voice but in what language i do not know for i could not catch the words if these were words and not only musical notes i felt ragnall trembling beside me and in a whisper asked him what was the matter he answered also in a whisper i believe that is my wife's voice if so i beg you to control yourself i replied 
now the skies began to flame and the light to pour itself into the misty hollow beneath us like streams of many-coloured gems into a bowl driving away shadows by degrees these vanished by degrees we saw everything beneath us was an amphitheatre on the southern wall of which we were seated though it was not a wall but a lava cliff between forty and fifty feet high which served as a wall the amphitheatre itself however almost exactly resembled those of the ancients which i had seen in pictures and ragnall had visited in italy greece and southern france it was oval in shape and not very large perhaps the flat space at the bottom may have covered something over an acre but all round this oval ran tiers of seats cut in the lava of the crater for without doubt this was the crater of an extinct volcano moreover in what i will call the arena stood a temple that in its main outlines although small exactly resembled those still to be seen in egypt there was the gateway or pylon there the open outer court with columns round it supporting roofed cloisters which as we ascertained afterwards were used as dwelling-places by the priests there beyond and connected with the first by a short passage was a second rather smaller court also open to the sky and beyond this again built like the rest of the temple of lava blocks a roofed erection measuring about twelve feet square which i guessed at once must be the sanctuary this temple was as i have said small but extremely well proportioned every detail of it being in the most excellent taste though unornamented by sculpture or painting i have to add that in front of the sanctuary door stood a large block of lava which i concluded was an altar and in front of this a stone seat and a basin also of stone supported upon a very low tripod further behind the sanctuary was a square house with window-places at the moment of our first sight of this place the courts were empty but on the benches of the amphitheatre were seated about three hundred persons male and female the men to the north and the women to the south they were all clad in pure white robes the heads of the men being shaved and those of the women veiled but leaving the face exposed lastly there were two roadways into the amphitheatre one running east and one west through tunnels hollowed in the encircling rock of the crater both of which roads were closed at the mouths of the tunnels by massive wooden double doors seventeen or eighteen feet in height from these roadways and their doors we learned two things first that the cave where had lived the father of serpents was as i had suspected not the real approach to the shrine of the child but only a blind and secondly that the ceremony we were about to witness was secret and might only be attended by the priestly class or families of this strange tribe scarcely was it full daylight when from the cells of the cloisters round the outer court issued twelve priests headed by harut himself who looked very dignified in his white garment each of whom carried on a wooden platter ears of different kinds of corn then from the cells of the southern cloister issued twelve women or rather girls for all were young and very comely who ranged themselves alongside of the men these also carried wooden platters and on them blooming flowers at a sign they struck up a religious chant and began to walk forward through the passage that led from the first court to the second arriving in front of the altar they halted and one by one first a priest then a priestess set down the platters of offerings piling them above each other into a cone next the priests and the priestesses ranged themselves in lines on either side of the altar 
and Harut took a platter of corn and a platter of flowers in his hands. These he held first towards that quarter of the sky in which swam the invisible new moon, secondly towards the rising sun, and thirdly towards the doors of the sanctuary, making genuflections and uttering some chanted prayer, the words of which we could not hear. A pause followed. That was succeeded by a sudden outburst of song wherein all the audience took part. It was a very sonorous and beautiful song or hymn in some language which I did not understand, divided into four verses, the end of each verse being marked by the bowing of every one of those many singers towards the east, towards the west, and finally towards the altar. Another pause till suddenly the doors of the sanctuary were thrown wide, and from between them issued the goddess Isis of the Egyptians, as I have seen her in pictures. She was wrapped in closely clinging draperies of material so thin that the whiteness of her body could be seen beneath. Her hair was outspread before her, and she wore a headdress or bonnet of glittering feathers from the front of which rose a little golden snake. In her arms she bore what at that distance seemed to be a naked child. With her came two women walking a little behind her and supporting her arms, who also wore feather bonnets but without the golden snake, and were clad in tight-fitting transparent garments. "'My God!' whispered Ragnall. "'It is my wife.' "'Then be silent and thank him that she is alive and well,' I answered. The goddess Isis, or the English lady, in that excitement I did not reck which, stood still while the priests and priestesses and all the audience who gathered on the upper benches of the amphitheatre could see her above the wall of the inner court raised a thrice repeated and triumphant cry of welcome then harut and the first priestess lifted respectively an ear of corn and a flower from the two topmost platters and held these first to the lips of the child in her arms and secondly to her lips this ceremony concluded, the two attendant women led her round the altar to the stone chair upon which she seated herself. Next, fire was kindled in the bowl on the tripod in front of the chair, how I could not see, but perhaps it was already smouldering there. At any rate, it burnt up in a thin blue flame, on to which Harut and the head priestess threw something that caused the flame to turn to smoke. Then Isis, for I prefer to call her so while describing this ceremony, was caused to bend her head forward, so that it was enveloped in the smoke exactly as she and I had done some years before in the drawing-room at Ragnall Castle. Presently the smoke died away, and the two attendants with the feathered headdresses straightened her in the chair where she sat still, holding the babe against her breast, as she might have done to nurse it, but with her head bent forward like that of a person in a swoon. Now Harut stepped forward and appeared to speak to the goddess at some length, then fell back again and waited, till, in the midst of an intense silence, she rose from her seat, and, fixing her wide eyes on the heavens, spoke in her turn, for although we heard nothing of what she said, in that clear morning light we could see her lips moving. For some minutes she spoke, then sat down again upon the chair, and remained motionless, staring straight in front of her. Harut advanced again, this time to the front of the altar, and, taking his stand upon a kind of stone step, addressed the priests and priestesses, and all the encircling audience in a voice so loud and clear that I could distinguish and understand every word he said. The guardian of the heavenly child, the nurse decreed, the appointed nurturer, 
she who is the shadow of her that bore the child, she who in her day bears the symbol of the child, and is consecrated to its service from of old, she whose heart is filled with the wisdom of the child, and who utters the decrees of heaven, has spoken. Hearken now to the voice of the oracle uttered in answer to the questions of me, Harut, the head-priest of the eternal child during my life-days. Thus says the oracle, the guardian, the nurturer, marked like all who went before her with the holy mark of the new moon, she on whom the spirit, flitting from generation to generation, has alighted for a while. O people of the White Kenda, worshippers of the child in this land, and descendants of those who for thousands of years worshipped the child in a more ancient land until the barbarians drove it thence, with the remnant that remained. War is upon you, O people of the White Kenda. Jana the evil one, he whose other name is Set, he whose other name is Satan, he who for this while lives in the shape of an elephant, he who is worshipped by the thousands whom once you conquered, and whom still you bridle by my might, comes up against you. The darkness wars against the daylight, the evil wars against the good. My curse has fallen upon the people of Jana. My hail has smitten them, their corn and their cattle they have no food to eat. But they are still strong for war, and there is food in your land. They come to take your corn. Jana comes to trample your god. The evil comes to destroy the good, the night to devour the day. It is the last of many battles. How shall you conquer, O people of the child? Not by your own strength, for you are few in number and Jana is very strong. Not by the strength of the child, for the child grows weak and old. The days of its dominion are almost done, and its worship is almost outworn. Here alone that worship lingers, but new gods, who are still the old gods, press on to take its place and to lead it to its rest. How then shall you conquer that, when the child has departed to its own place, a remnant of you may still remain, in one way only? So says the guardian, the nurturer, of the child speaking with the voice of the child, by the help of those whom you have summoned to your aid from far. There were four of them, but one you have suffered to be slain in the maw of the watcher in the cave. It was an evil deed, O sons and daughters of the child, for as the watcher is now dead, so ere long many of you who planned this deed must die, who, had it not been for that man's blood, would have lived on a while. Why did you do this thing? That you might keep a secret, the secret of the theft of a woman, that you might continue to act a lie which falls upon your head like a stone from heaven. Thus saith the child, Lift no hand against the three who remain, and what they shall ask, that give, for thus alone shall some of you be saved from Jonah and those who serve him. Even though the guardian and the child be taken away, and the child itself returned to its own place. These are the words of the oracle uttered at the feast of the first fruits, the words that cannot be changed, and may happen its last. 
Harut ceased, and there was silence while this portentous message sank into the minds of his audience. At length they seemed to understand its ominous nature, and from them all there arose a universal, simultaneous groan. As it died away, the two attendants, dressed as goddesses, assisted the personification of the Lady Isis to rise from her seat and, opening the robes upon her breast, pointed to something beneath her throat, doubtless that birthmark shaped like the new moon which made her so sacred in their eyes, since she who bore it and she alone could fill her holy office. All the audience, and with them the priests and priestesses, bowed before her. She lifted the symbol of the child, holding it high above her head, whereon once more they bowed with the deepest veneration. Then, still holding the effigy aloft, she turned, and with her two attendants, passed into the sanctuary, and doubtless thence by a covered way into the house beyond. At any rate, we saw her no more. As soon as she was gone, the congregation, if I may call it so, leaving their seats, swarmed into the outer court of the temple through its eastern gate, which was now opened. Here the priests proceeded to distribute among them the offerings taken from the altar, giving a grain of corn to each of the men to eat, and a flower to each of the women, which flower she kissed and hid in the bosom of her robe. Evidently it was a kind of sacrament. Ragnall lifted himself a little upon his hands and knees, and I saw that his eyes glowed and his face was very pale. "'What are you going to do?' I asked. "'Demand that those people give me back my wife, whom they have stolen. "'Don't try to stop me, Quatermain. I mean what I say.' "'But, but,' I stammered, "'they never will, and we are but three unarmed men.' Hans lifted up his little yellow face between us. "'Bas,' he hissed, "'I have a thought. "'The Lord Bas wishes to get the lady dressed like a bird as to her head.' and like one for burial as to her body, who is, he says, his wife. But for us to take her from among so many is impossible. Now what did that old witch-doctor Harut declare just now? He declared, speaking for his fetish, that by our help alone the white Kenda can resist the hosts of the black Kenda, and that no harm must be done to us if the white Kenda would continue to live. So it seems, Baas, that we have something to sell which the white Kenda must buy namely our help against the black kenda for if we will not fight for them they believe that they cannot conquer their enemies and kill the devil jana well now supposing that the baas says that our price is the white woman dressed like a bird to be delivered over to us when we have defeated the black kenda and killed jana after which they will have no more use for her but supposing that the baas says that if they refuse to pay that price we will burn all our powder and cartridges, so that the rifles are no use. Is there not a path to walk on here? Perhaps, I answered. Something of the sort was working in my mind, but I had no time to think it out. Turning, I explained the idea to Ragnall, adding, I pray you not to be rash. If you are, not only may we be killed, which does not so much matter, but it is very probable that even if they spare us they will put an end to your wife rather than suffer one whom they look upon as holy and who is necessary to their faith in its last struggle to be separated from her charge of the child this was a fortunate argument of mine and one which went home to lose her now would be more than i could bear he muttered then will you promise to let me try to manage this affair and not to interfere with me and to show violence he hesitated a moment and answered Yes, I promise, for you two are cleverer than I am, and, 
I cannot trust my judgment. Good, I said, assuming an air of confidence which I did not feel. Now we will go down to call upon Harut and his friends. I want to have a closer look at that temple. So behind our screen of bushes we wriggled back a little distance till we knew that the slope of the ground would hide us when we stood up. Then as quickly as we could we made our way eastwards for something over a quarter of a mile, and after this turned to the north. As I expected, beyond the ring of the crater we found ourselves on the rising, tree-clad bosom of the mountain, and, threading our path through the cedars, came presently to that track or roadway which led to the eastern gate of the amphitheatre. This road we followed unseen until presently the gateway appeared before us. We walked through it without attracting any attention, perhaps because all the people were either talking together or praying, or perhaps because, like themselves, we were wrapped in white robes. At the mouth of the tunnel we stopped, and I called out in a loud voice, "'The white lords and their servant have come to visit Harut, as he invited them to do. Bring us, we pray you, into the presence of Harut.' Everyone wheeled round and stared at us, standing there in the shadow of the gateway tunnel, for the sun behind us was still low. My word, how they did stare! A voice cried, "'Kill them! Kill these strangers who desecrate our temple!' "'What?' I answered. Would you kill those to whom your high priest has given safe conduct, those, moreover, by whose help alone, as your oracle has just declared, you can hope to slay Janna and destroy his hosts? How do they know that? shouted another voice. They are magicians. Yes, I remarked. All magic does not dwell in the hearts of the white kinder. If you doubt it, go to look at the watcher in the cave whom your oracle told you is dead. You will find that it did not lie. As I spoke, a man rushed through the gates, his white robe streaming on the wind, shouting as he emerged from the tunnel, "'O oh, priests and priestesses of the child, the ancient serpent is dead! I, whose office it is to feed the serpent on the day of the new moon, have found him dead in his house.' "'You hear?' I interpolated calmly. "'The father of snakes is dead. If you want to know how, I will tell you. We looked on it, and it died.' They might have answered that poor savage also looked on it with the result that he died, but luckily it did not occur to them to do so. On the contrary, they just stood still and stared at us like a flock of startled sheep. Presently the sheep parted, and the shepherd in the shape of a root appeared looking, I reflected, the very picture of Abraham softened by a touch of the melancholia of Job, that is, as I have always imagined those patriarchs. He bowed to us with his usual oriental courtesy, and we bowed back to him. Hans's bow, I may explain, was of the most peculiar nature, more like a skullpat, as the Boers call a land tortoise, drawing its wrinkled head into its shell and putting it out again than anything else. Then Harut remarked in his peculiar English, which I suppose the white kender took for some tongue known only to magicians, So you get here, eh? Why you get here? How the devil you get here, eh? We got here because you asked us to do so if we could, I answered and we thought it rude not to accept your invitation. For the rest, we came through a cave where you kept a tame snake, an ugly-looking reptile, but very harmless to those who know how to deal with snakes, and are not afraid of them as poor Bina was. If you can spare the skin, I should like to have it to make myself a robe. Harut looked at me with evident respect, muttering, O Makumazahan, you what you English call cool, quite cool. Is that all? No, I answered. Although you did not happen to notice us, we have been present at your church service and heard and seen everything. 
For instance, we saw the wife of the Lord here whom you stole away in Egypt. Her that, being a liar, Harut, you swore you never stole. Also we heard her words after you had made her drunk with your tobacco smoke. Now, for once in his life, Harut was, in sporting parlance, knocked out. He looked at us, then turning quite pale, lifted his eyes to heaven and rocked upon his feet as though he were about to fall. How you do it? How you do it, eh? he queried in a weak voice. Never you mind how we did it, my friend, I answered loftily. What we want to know is when you are going to hand over that lady to her husband. Not possible, he answered, recovering some of his tone. First we kill you, first we kill her, she nurse of the child. While child there, she stop there till she die. See here, broke in Ragnall, either you give me my wife or someone else will die. You will die, Harut. I am a stronger man than you are, and unless you promise to give me my wife, I will kill you now with this stick and my hands. Do not move or call out if you want to live. Lord, answered the old man with some dignity, I know you can kill me, and if you kill me, I think I say thank you who no wish to live in so much trouble. But what good that, since in one minute then you die too, all of you, and the lady she stop here till black and the king take her to wife or she to die? Let us talk, I broke in, treading warningly upon Ragnall's foot. We have heard your oracle, and we know that you believe its words. It is said that we alone can help you to conquer the black kenda. If you will not promise what we ask, we will not help you. We will burn our powder and melt our lead, so that the guns we have cannot speak with Jana and with Simba and after that we will do other things that I need not tell you. But if you promise what we ask, then we will fight for you against Jana and Simba, and teach your men to use the fifty rifles which we have here with us, and by our help you shall conquer. Do you understand? He nodded, and, stroking his long beard, asked, What you want us promise, eh? We want you to promise that after Jana is dead and the Black Kenda are driven away, you will give up to us unharmed that lady whom you have stolen. Also that you will bring her and us safe out of your country by the roads you know, and meanwhile that you will let this lord see his wife. Not last, no, replied Harut. That not possible. That bring us all to grave. Also no good cause her mind empty. For rest you come to other place, sit down and eat while I talk with priests. Be afraid nothing, you're quite safe. Why should we be afraid? It is you who should be afraid, you who stole the lady and brought Bina to his death. Do you not remember the words of your own oracle, Harut? Yes, I know words. But how you know them, that I not know, he replied. Then he issued some orders, as a result of which a guard formed itself about us and conducted us through the crowd and along the passage to the second court of the temple, which was now empty. Here the guard left us, but remained at the mouth of the passage, keeping watch. Presently women brought us food and drink, of which Hans I partook heartily, though Ragnall, who was so near to his lost wife, and yet so far away, could eat but little. Mingled joy, because after these months of arduous search he found her yet alive, and fear lest she should again be taken from him for ever, deprived him of all appetite. While we ate, priests to the number of about a dozen, who I suppose had been summoned by Harut, were admitted by the guard and, gathering out of earshot of us between the altar and the sanctuary, entered on an earnest discussion with him, 
Watching their faces, I could see that there was a strong difference of opinion between them, about half taking one view on the matter of which they disputed, and half another. At length Harut made some proposition to which they all agreed. Then the door of the sanctuary was opened with a strange sort of key which one of the priests produced, showing a dark interior in which gleamed a white object, I suppose the statue of the child. Harut and two others entered, the door being closed behind them. About five minutes later they appeared again, and others, who listened earnestly and after renewed consultation, signified assent by holding up the right hand. Now one of the priests walked to where we were, and, bowing, begged us to advance to the altar. This we did, and were stood in a line in front of it, hands being set in the middle place, while the priests ranged themselves on either side. Next Harut, having once more opened the door of the sanctuary, took his stand a little to the right of it and addressed us, not in English but in his own language, pausing at the end of each sentence that I might translate to Ragnar. Lords Macumazahan and Agiza and Yellow Man who is named Light in Darkness, he said, we, the head priests of the child, speaking on behalf of the White Kendah people, with full authority so to do, have taken counsel together and of the wisdom of the child as to the demands which you make of us. Those demands are, first, that after you have killed Jana and defeated the Black Kendah, we should give over to you the White Lady who was born in a far land to fill the office of the guardian of the child, as is shown by the mark of the new moon upon her breast, but who, because for the second time we could not take her, became the wife of you, the Lord Giza. Secondly, that we should conduct you and her safely out of our land to some place whence you can return to your own country. Both of these things we will do, because we know from of old that if once Jana is dead we shall have no cause to fear the Black Kendah any more since we believe that then they will leave their home and go elsewhere and therefore that we shall no longer need an oracle to declare to us in what way heaven will protect us from jana and from them or if another oracle should become necessary to us doubtless in due season she will be found also we admit that we stole away this lady because we must although she was the wife of one of you but if we swear this you on your part must also swear that you will stay with us till the end of the war, making our cause your cause, and, if need be, giving your lives for us in battle. You must swear further that none of you will attempt to see or take hence that lady who is named guardian of the child, until we hand her over to you unharmed. If you will not swear these things, then, since no blood may be shed in this holy place, here we will ring you round until you die of hunger and of thirst or if you escape from this temple, then we will fall upon you and put you to death and fight our own battle with Jana as best we may. And if we make these promises, how are we to know that you will keep yours? I interrupted. Because the oath that we shall give you will be the oath of the child that may not be broken. Then give it, I said, for although I did not altogether like the security, obviously it was best to be had. So very solemnly they laid their right hands upon the altar, and in the presence of the child, and the name of the child, and of all the white Kendah people, repeated after Harut a most solemn oath, of which I have already given the substance. They had called down on their heads a very dreadful doom in this world, and the next, should it be broken either in spirit or the letter, the said oath, however, to be only binding if we, on our part, swore to observe their terms, and kept our engagement also in the spirit and a letter. 
Then they asked us to fulfil our share of the pact, and very considerately drew out of hearing while we discussed the matter, Harut, the only one of them who understood a word of English, retiring behind the sanctuary. At first I had difficulties with Ragnall, who was most unwilling to bind himself in any way. In the end, on my pointing out that nothing less than our lives were involved, and probably that of his wife as well, also that no other course was open to us, he gave way to my great relief. Hans denounced himself ready to swear anything, adding blandly that words mattered nothing, as afterwards we could do whatever seemed best in our own interests, whereon I read him a short moral lecture on the heinousness of perjury, which did not seem to impress him very much. This matter settled, we called back the priests and informed them of our decision. Harut demanded that we should affirm it by the child which we declined to do, saying it was our custom to swear only in the name of our own God. Being a liberal-minded man who had travelled, Harut gave way on the point. So I swore first to the effect that I would fight for the White Kenda to the finish in consideration of the promises that they had made to us. I added that I would not attempt either to see or to interfere with the lady here known as the guardian of the child, until the war was over, or even to bring our existence to her knowledge, ending up, so help me God as I had done several times when giving evidence in a court of law. Next, Ragnall, with great effort, repeated my oath in English, Harut listening carefully to every word, and once or twice asking me to explain the exact meaning of some of them. Lastly, Hans, who seemed very bored with the whole affair, swore, also repeating the words after me, and finishing on his own account with, So help me the reverend predicant the boss's father a form that he utterly declined to vary, although it involved more explanations. When pressed, indeed, he showed considerable ingenuity by pointing out to the priests that, to his mind, my poor father stood in exactly the same relation to the power above us as their oracle did to the child. He offered generously, however, to throw in the spirits of his grandfather and grandmother and some extraordinary divinity they worshipped. I think it was a hare— as an additional guarantee of good faith. This proposal the priests accepted gravely, whereon Hans whispered into my ear in Dutch, Those fools do not remember that when pressed by dogs, the hare often doubles on its own spore, and that your reverend father will be very pleased if I can play them the same trick with the white lady that they played with the Lord Giza. I only looked at him in reply, since the morality of Hans was past argument, it might perhaps be summed up in one sentence, to get the better of his neighbour in his master's service, honestly if possible, if not, by any means that came to his hand down to that of murder. At the bottom of his dark and mysterious heart Hans worshipped only one god, named Love, not of woman or child, but of my humble self. His principles were those of a rather sly but very high-class and exclusive dog, neither better nor worse. Still, when all is said and done, there are lower creatures in the world than high-class dogs. At least, so the masters whom they adore are apt to think, especially if their watchfulness and courage have often saved them from death or disaster. End of chapter 17